Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Well, greetings, everybody. My name is Nate, if I haven't met you, and I'm so happy that you're here. Everybody online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, we're going to jump in in just a moment. Our thread series, we're looking at the big meta narratives that move through the Bible, uh, things that help us understand who God is and how, uh, what our relationship with him is like. And we're going to talk about wind, all right? Wind. It was one of those where I'm like, is that really a, th- a theme? But as I read through the Bible, I was shocked by um, what what wind represents. Um, before we do that though, uh, my wife Jenny and I got to have an experience last week that I just have to share with you. It was so unique and so encouraging. We were invited to travel to the nation of Turkey and speak at a conference for uh, church leaders there. Um, Turkey is a fascinating place. The conference was held in Istanbul. And uh, when you live in Montana, a city of 19 million people <laughs> is completely overwhelming. 19 million people with an infrastructure for about 2 million, by the way. Um, and Turkey uh, was a fascinating place. We're part of a movement of churches, a family of churches called Foursquare. So I got to be with these Foursquare leaders and pastors. And immediately when I got there, you just feel humbled and you feel like I have nothing to teach you. I'm here for you to teach me just because of their determination and their courage. It is a nation where it is not easy and sometimes not safe to be a follower of Jesus. There have been multiple death threats. There were some while we were there against certain um, pastors. In 2007, we had three pastors who were martyred by ultranationalists. And, but these guys are like uninhibited. In fact, I met a couple who is going to plant a church in a region of Turkey where there has not been a Christian church for 723 years. Since the Ottoman Empire swept in and pushed out or killed all followers of Jesus, there has not been an expression of Jesus' church there. And they were like all smiles. (laughs) They're like, we're so excited about going. And I'm like, I'm excited for you, but I'm scared for you. I didn't say that part. But it was just so encouraging. They have... um, They've doubled the, the number of Christian churches in that nation over the past 20 years. So just super inspiring. And they told me to give you their greetings. So hello from Turkey. So let's talk a little bit about wind. Um, we live in a part of the country. Those of you who live here, I know there's people that live in different places. But we live in a part of the country where we, I just call it, it's a well-ventilated part of the country. We have fresh air in abundance, right? I always try to look at wind in a positive light. Um, And then some know this more than others. Have you ever driven through Casper, Wyoming when the air wasn't moving sideways or Livingston or the entire state of North Dakota, right? There's just always fresh wind, fresh wind, fresh air coming in. And wind, it's, 
it's fairly mysterious. We're trying to harness its power. The other day I was driving down the interstate and I passed a truck that was carrying one blade for a wind turbine. And when I was that close, it doesn't look that big when they're up in the air, but when I was that close to it, the enormity of this blade and our hope is to capture this, this thing called the wind that moves and it, it has the capacity, if we harness it, to create electricity. Wind can be dangerous. This morning, I got a message on my phone that said, Tropical Storm Fiona upgraded to hurricane status. And there are parts of the world, we don't live there, maybe some of you do, where the threat of wind, sustained winds at 70, 80, 90, 120 miles per hour can bring absolute destruction. So in the ancient world, they knew less about wind than we do. We really, we can't control the wind, right? We have no say. We can look at your weather app and you'll know like, hopefully it's gonna be blowing from this direction or that direction, but we don't know how to slow it down. Uh, we know a little bit from science that there's high pressure systems and low pressure systems and move, air is moving from one to the other. In the ancient world, they knew even less about that. It was a big mystery. I wanna, I wanna talk about three things that the Bible emphasizes in relation to wind. And then we're gonna take some time at the end and we'll do something a little bit different. I wanna actually pray through these things, three things because um, as I've been preparing and thinking about this message for the last couple of weeks, I really felt like the Lord said, we need to pause and we need to just really pray. Let's move through this. That God would do some very, very significant, miraculous things in our lives um, as we pray. So here's point number one. You can start early in the Bible that wind is a symbol of God's power. Wind is a symbol of God's power. So there would be multiple places where we could read about this, but I want to read, first of all, from the book of Exodus chapter 14. Here's the setting. The people of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. Just imagine that. Generations of slavery, generations of being told that you're subhuman, generations of being told that the Egyptian gods are far more powerful than your God. There's hopelessness, all, all that would exist within a society. They're finally set free. These 10 amazing plagues come, Moses leads them. They've just been free for a couple of days and they come to their first major obstacle. And it's called the Red Sea. And here's the problem. They're fairly defenseless. There's probably between 500,000 and a million of them. So it's a big group of people, but they've been slaves. They have no army, they have no way to protect themselves. And unfortunately, the Egyptians changed their mind now, Egypt is the world's superpower at the time, and the Egyptians are chasing them down with their chariots. So they're coming from the back, and the people of Israel are at an impasse. The Red Sea is right in front of them, and there's no time to go around, and they've got their enemies coming from behind, and God demonstrates his power, and he uses wind as a way to demonstrate his power. Let's read together from the book of Exodus, chapter 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Now, I want to pause there for a moment. I just want you to imagine this. You're pressed against the sea. There's no way forward. Your enemies are coming towards you. 
Moses raises his hand above the sea. And what does God do? God sends a wind, an east wind. And I've been in some windstorms, but all night you're in your tent. You're terrified of the Egyptians in this wind that has such power and noise. It drives and the wind is it's symptomatic of God's power and it drives walls of water separate. And then we read this. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now the Egyptians get there and they're like, this is amazing. Let's go through too. And God stops the wind. It's this moment where the people of Israel who are so vulnerable, who are stuck at this complete impasse, God says, let me make a way and my wind will represent my power and my capacity that I can create a pathway where there's no way forward. And when the wind of God stops, everything goes back to its normal. Now, I want to visit one other section of scripture that speaks about the power of God and wind. This is from the book of Job. And Job is a fascinating book in the Bible. Chronologically speaking, it's the oldest book we have. It was written centuries ago. And it's this story of a man who... He starts off as one of the most blessed, happy, peaceful, prosperous men you could imagine. He's got everything. He's got a big family. He's wealthy. He's healthy. All of this. And then systematically, this good man who's lived his right, life in a right way, systematically, he begins to lose everything. There's death. His family passes away. All his wealth is burned up. Invaders come in. And he gets to the point where now his health is gone. He's covered in boils. And for 37 chapters in the book of Job, there's this dialogue between Job, a few of his friends, and God. And here's what Job keeps asking. It's a question that every human being asks. It's legitimate. He's asking this, God, why are these awful things happening to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? And he's, he's filled with angst and questioning he, and he's struggling. He's faithful at times and sometimes he's a little bit weak. But as the disease goes on, as the loss goes on, and by the way, the only person that's left is his wife, who's like the queen of negativity. And she's like, you must have done something wrong, buddy. Like, you deserve this. And he's like, stop, right? Like, what have I done? So he gets to this place where he's just been asking God. It's the question that human beings ask. And in chapter 38, God turns the tables. God has been listening to his questions for 37 chapters. And in chapter 38, God speaks from, guess what? A whirlwind. A tornado, a type, oh, we don't know what it is. It's just this massive storm. It's a very difficult word in Hebrew to translate, but it's this rushing, powerful, intimidating wind. And this is what God says to Job. He says this, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, this demonstration of his power and said, who is this who darkens the divine plan by words without knowledge. So finally, God's been listening and he says, buddy, who do you think you are? 
You're gonna, you're gonna step into my world and my realm and you're gonna darken my realm with words. That, that God listens, he lets, him, he lets him vent, but they're words without knowledge. Job, this is a tragedy and you don't understand it, but the best you're trying to do, like to, to make sense of it all, those are words without knowledge. It goes on. Now, tighten the belt on your waist like a man. This is just something you never want God to say to you. Right? Tighten your, like, put on your spurs. We're going for a ride. Okay? God says, no, I need you to man up, get ready, and I shall ask you. Now, I've let you ask questions for 37 chapters. Now, I shall ask you, and you will inform me. You're so smart. Now you're going to teach me. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements? Who put the galaxies in their place? Who created the system that continues to move? Who created life? Since you know, or who stretched out the measuring line over it. So from this whirlwind, this demonstration of God's power, here's what God is saying. He brings Job to the point, like I've listened, I've listened, I know you're in pain, but you are beginning to wonder, do I care? Do I have the power to stop bad things? Have I abandoned you? And he finally says to Job, he says this, here's what you need to do. You need to surrender. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to make it better. You're trying to tell me what my job is. Job, here's what you need to do. You need to fall on your knees and you need to surrender to me. You need to embrace the idea that I am a good God. And if I hung the stars in their place, if I laid out the foundations of the world, I can take care of you. This isn't out of my control. Tighten your belt. Man up, trust me. Do not let your pain define you and overwhelm you. And it's from this whirlwind that God speaks to Job. Now, here's the second thing I'd like to talk about regarding the wind. Wind in the Bible, multiple places, is associated with the creation of life. Creation of life. I want to review one quickly. We've talked about it, but it's so essential to understanding the Bible as a whole. Uh, this is found in Genesis chapter 2. The creation poem that we read is God has made Adam out of the dust of the earth. And he does this incredibly intimate thing where he breathes his wind. So in, in Hebrew, there's only one word for both wind and spirit and breath. Okay, wind, spirit, and breath are one word. It's the Hebrew word ruchah. Ruha. And so God leans over Adam, who's a biological entity like all other animals, but he breathes into Adam his breath or his wind into Adam's nostrils. Very, very, very intimate. And at that moment, we're told that Adam became a living being. He received the spirit or the wind of God into him. And this is what makes human beings distinctive. It makes them unique. Um, Theology uses this term, the imago Dei. We're made in the image of God. We have something of him coursing within us. That's when life happens. So it's the breath of God that creates life. Now, I wanna jump forward several centuries 
And there is a passage in the book of Ezekiel that speaks of the wind and the power of God's wind to recreate life. Uh, Here's the setting for this. Ezekiel is a prophet, meaning he's a spokesperson for God. And the nation is in absolute and total disarray. Economically, politically, they have corrupted leaders. There's invaders that have come in, they feel powerless. Like no one has money, there's food scarcity. Society is crumbling apart. And probably most importantly, spiritually, the nation is facing this significant decay. People are leaving the Hebrew God, who they call Yahweh, and they're worshiping all these other gods. And Ezekiel the prophet has been warning and warning and warning, and he's grown to the place where he's hopeless. Like, I don't know if God can ever do anything to this people group. We have wandered so far. And God gives him a vision. He says, Ezekiel, here's, here's the vision. I want to give you hope. And so Ezekiel sees a valley of dry bones. So I want you to think about the most arid scenario you can imagine. And scattered throughout the valley are parts of skeletons. I mean, it is, it is the ultimate image of decay, of of death, of brokenness. It's like things that were alive, but are no longer alive. So Ezekiel sees this in his mind, and this is what God says to him. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, the ruha, the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain, these corpses, these skeletons, that they may live. They move from death to life through the wind of God. So I prophesied, I love this, that God doesn't prophesy. He invites Ezekiel, speak to dead things. Ask my wind to come. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army, this moment of resurrection. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we're cut off. Our society is destroyed. We have no hope of the future. Everything's broken. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. So this incredible image of life, of societies, of cultures who experience decay and death and entropy. And God says, through my breath and through my wind, We can speak life and pieces of humans can come together and experience life once again. Wind creates life. I wanna visit one more passage. I'd love for you to read this on your own, but you have Genesis two, you have the passage in Ezekiel, and then you have Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two is the creation of a new form of humanity. It's 50 days after Jesus has been resurrected. 
Jews from all over the Roman Empire have gathered in Jerusalem in pilgrimage. So they speak all different languages, but it was very important that you came to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And what you have is you have the first followers of Jesus who are in Jerusalem. They're waiting there because Jesus told them to wait there. Jesus said, I have something really unique planned, but they're terrified. They've been incapacitated. They're, they're, they saw Jesus. They heard him teach. They, they followed him. But their, their overwhelming sensation is fear. That the exact same thing that happened to Jesus would happen to them. That the leaders would turn on them. That they, they themselves would be crucified, would be killed in one way or another. So they're in this upper room and God is about to create something new. Just like he did in Genesis 2. Just like he promised in Ezekiel. He's going to create a new form of humanity. And so as they're in this upper room, guess what the first thing that happens is? The sound of a mighty rushing wind enters the room. This is Genesis 2 over again. The dead people are experiencing the breath of God as it blows into them. And there's additional things. There's fire that falls on their heads. And suddenly where they were predominantly full, filled with fear, they're now filled with courage. And God does all these terrific things. Like he animates their voices. And they walk out of the room where they had been hiding before. Now they're born new, right? God's breathed into them. They go out into the streets and in languages that God miraculously gives them, they're speaking the story of Jesus to all these people who have come to the feast. And they're speaking in their native tongue and they're telling the story of Jesus. They're speaking in languages they never learned. They're, they're speaking truth that doesn't come from them. God's animated, his breath has animated their lungs and they're now speaking on God's behalf. And it's this miracle moment where on that day when God breathes new life into the room, 3,000 people, 3,000 people say, I believe, I wanna be baptized. And those 3,000 people then dissipate back to their hometowns and they begin to, help people experience the breath of God. And it's the emergence of the brand new church that is going to move throughout the Roman empire. It's the breath of God that creates life. Genesis two, Ezekiel, Acts chapter two, God's breathing life into humans who feel lifeless. Um, let me give you just a quick example of this. This has been, I try to never say I'm busy. I say it's been a week filled with opportunities, okay, opportunities. And I, man, my wife and I, when we came back from Turkey, we got back late Saturday night and just the way we had a couple of layovers, we ended up missing two nights of sleep. I just couldn't sleep on the plane. And I've just never experienced jet lag like this. I'll go to bed at 10 and I wake up at 12, just like, and there's no going back to sleep. So it's been successive nights. And then um, I had the opportunity to go speak at a men's retreat. I was up there Thursday and Friday and didn't sleep those two nights. And last night before service, I'm, I'm sitting backstage and Glenn Grove, our missions pastor, he looked at me and it's never fun when somebody says this, but he looked at me, he goes, you look terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel so tired. I just feel so tired. And then he did this. He said, let me pray for you. And he just prayed. And I, I, I remember just a couple of parts of this prayer he said, God, would you breathe life into Nate? And would you 
would you speak through him things that are beyond anything that he could say in and of himself? And it, it was just this moment, right? It was right back there, minutes before I was supposed to come out and teach. And it was like, God just breathed into me. And I was awake. <laughs> and I was alive. And I'm like, that's what I need. I need the breath of God flowing through me. Okay, there's, there's one last thing before we move to this prayer section. Uh, point number three is wind represents the spirit of God. It represents the spirit of God. So we've got this whole, the same word, wind, breath, spirit in Hebrew. But now in New Testament times, when most people are speaking Greek, but the Jewish people are speaking Aramaic, which is a, a derivative of, of, of Hebrew, Jesus has an interaction in the book of John with a man named Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus is, uh, he's a scholar and he's a politician and a leader. He's part of the Jewish Sanhedrin. There were 70 men who served in the Sanhedrin and they were the most educated, most influential. Our, our, probably our closest comparison would be the Supreme Court of the United States. So this is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, who is a student, he's a rabbi himself, a teacher of the Old Testament, has been observing Jesus. Jesus has only been active for a couple of months. He's observing Jesus and he is He's disturbed and he's filled with questions because he can't understand. Jesus is this upstart. He's, he's not one of the political or civil leaders. He, he's not a traditional rabbi. He, he was a tecton. He was a man who worked with his hands. And at 30 years old, he begins to preach and teach and do miraculous things. And there's this growing excitement in society. And Nicodemus, is, his mind's blown. So he comes to Jesus at night. Let's read about this, inter, this interaction and how Jesus uses wind to help Nicodemus understand what God is doing in the spiritual realm. John three, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, by the way, for a guy like Nicodemus to call Jesus a rabbi, because Jesus wasn't a rabbi in the traditional sense. He's at that point, just using that word, he's submitting or he's acknowledging Jesus' authority. He's speaking to a much younger man, calling a younger man rabbi. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus is observing, he's been listening to Jesus, and it's all unorthodox, but he goes, nobody could do this if God wasn't a part of it. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So Nicodemus is confused and Jesus answers and says, I know why you're confused. Because you're looking at what's happening through your well-trained religious eyes. You're the student of the Old Testament. You're as knowledgeable as anyone who lives in the entire nation. But you won't be able to see this new kingdom that God is bringing to earth. Not a political kingdom, but a kingdom where people can be breathed into by God, become alive, this new form of humanity. He says, you won't be able to understand it unless you are born again. And this term born again was very, very popular in the American church from all through the 70s and 80s because it's this, 
Yeah, it's this beautiful, mysterious, born again. But Nicodemus has never heard this phrase, born again. So it leads to his confusion. How can someone be born when they are old? This guy's a literalist, right? He's like, uh, born a second time? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. You just don't fit, right? That's not going to work. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. That's your physical birth, but a spiritual birth, water and the spirit. So Jesus lays this out to Nicodemus who understands the Old Testament way better than any of us could. He says, okay, Nicodemus, one of the things you've missed is yes, there's a physical birth, but the problem is, is the wind of God, the spirit of God has been broken and dissipated within the human life because of rebellion and sin. And so what you need is to be born a second time. Like Adam was born a second time. He's a biological being but he's breathed into, and now he's a spiritual being. And he says, that's what you need. You need, yeah, physical birth, but you need spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind. So this is, Jesus is gonna use the wind as a metaphor and illustration for the Holy Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you wanna understand what I'm doing on planet earth, it's not just about the miracles. What I've really come to do is to resurrect human corpses. Humans who are walking about and they're biologically alive, but spiritually dead. I want to do a creative act like God did in Genesis chapter two with Adam. I wanna take human beings and breathe into them, let them be born again so they can be part of a new kingdom, a new form of humanity, new form of humanity. And that was in large part the mission of Jesus, was to resurrect dead people, to take people who had lost the wind or the breath of God and to give it to them again so that you can walk with him, you can know him. That There's this partnership, there's actually the power of the spirit. Like the wind, it's mysterious, I can't harness it, I can't control it, I can't manipulate God. Jesus says, Listen, your old way of thinking religiously, what you need is you need the spirit of God to be blown into you so that you can become alive. And it's not for your personal power or you can, you can dominate it, but the spirit's like the wind. You're not gonna control him, but you need him. You need him. You harness the wind. No, you accept the breath and the wind of God. So the spirit of God is like the wind, Jesus says. So here's... Here's where I like to go with this. I want to think through these three really important realities. And in a moment, we're going to pray. First, I want to talk about any of us who would say, I need the wind of God in my life to demonstrate his power. So 
It's like you're up against the Red Sea and there's an enemy behind you who is vastly superior. But there's no path forward. I mean, we could be talking about an addiction. Like, I, I want a path forward, but I can't find it. It could be about pain or trauma or unforgiveness. I want to move forward, but this barrier, I don't know how to get across it. It could be that broken heart, whatever it might be, just a failure from the past. And I want to pray that the wind of God would blow and create a path. Would he stack the barrier up on both sides of you and lead you across to a new place, a new land? Or maybe you're like Job and life has been difficult and there are broken dreams and you're suffering. And you're asking all the questions that every human being asks. Why me, God? Do you care? Is there ever an end to this? And God will let you ask the questions, but at some point, out of the whirlwind, God would speak to you today, and he would say, it's time to surrender. It's time to just acknowledge me as God and trust that I'm big enough, that if I can't hold this universe in place, I can take care of you. I won't let you go. Surrender to me. It's life. Maybe some of us, it, we look at the future and it just looks like a desiccated, empty, arid wasteland and skeletal. And God would say to you, like he said to Ezekiel, you speak. You speak out loud. You speak resurrection. Call on the wind of God to begin to blow over dead things and bring resurrection and hope. Maybe it's like Acts chapter two and we just need personal resurrection. And here's, here's what God would do. He, he would breathe into you so that you're born again. So you have a, a new perspective and then he animates your voice and you begin to speak, not your opinions, but you begin to, begin to speak the words that Jesus would speak if he were there in that conversation. That's called prophetic voice. It means rather than me saying what I think you should do, I'm hearing God and I'm speaking on his behalf that he loosens your tongue and your lips as he blows into you to say things that you don't comprehend, but it's the wind of God moving through you. Would you join me as we pray through those? Lord, first of all, I wanna pray for any of us who are up against a barrier that we cannot cross. We've never been able to struggle or strive our way to freedom, to get to the place where we're not miserable. Lord, I pray that you would demonstrate your power as you would begin to blow into that barrier, that you would separate that addiction, that you would separate that hurt and harm. Would you pile it up on either side so that we walk through and what's evident as we look to our right and to our left is there is a God who separates the things that I cannot get through myself. And he passes me to a place of hope and health and healing. Lord, for some of us, we feel so troubled and we fall on our knees. You'll let, us, you'll let us speak our pain for 37 chapters. But at some point, 
We're going to fall on our knees. We're going to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe. I believe that the God who set the heavens in their place can take care of my life. Lord, for some of us who, like life just seems dead and empty, would you breathe? We're going to speak life over families that feel forgotten and empty and dusty, it seems skeletal, over societal issues where it seems like something precious has been lost and now there's only decay. We speak life. We ask the wind of God would blow and bring resurrection, bring bones together and create life. Lead us to a place of hope. And then Lord, for many of us, I pray this, like Nicodemus, we need to be born again. We need the very breath of God. It's not about being a good person. It's about being a resurrected person. And I just want to make this invitation for anybody in the room. If you would say, today, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. I want to be born, born new. I want God to breathe his life into me. I believe that what Jesus did through his life and his death and his resurrection creates a pathway for life so that I can become born a second time. If that's you, um, you're in the room, I'm gonna ask you to do something, be really bold. Would you just raise your hand and wave at me? Because I wanna make eye contact. If you're saying, I need a second birth right now. Yes, ma'am. You're his. Yeah, both of you guys, I love it. You're his right there. Absolutely there as well. Yeah, both of you guys. You're his. Experience new life, yes, yes. Yes, sir. I see you. If you're in the balcony, will you just wave at me? Okay. Yeah, both of you up top right there. I see you as well. Yes, I see you. I see you. Here, here. Yeah. All right, I see you. I see your hands there. Absolutely. Now, of course, okay, here as well. Um, If you're you're watching on a screen right now, would you just open your eyes? Would you look right into my eyes? The Lord sees you. Be born new. Breathe on us, God. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.